It is not until the middle that it becomes apparent uh, to folks on the wor- on, on, in the earth that he is the Antichrist. Up until then, they think he's the Messiah. And halfway through, he commits uh, an abomination in the temple and uh, the sacrifice and uh, goes to war with Israel. He's angry at Israel. We talked a little bit about why that was in chapter 12, because Michael uh, fights with him and casts him out of heaven once and for all. He's never allowed back in there after that point in time. And uh, so the dragon, which is uh, the devil, the Bible says, uh, gives his power to this beast that rises out of the sea. And uh, being we, we consider or believe that he would be the human uh, person politically that is empowered, uh, what we would refer to as the Antichrist. There are several things that we spoke about about the Antichrist last week. I'm not going to reteach all of them or give you the verses on them, but I will read through the list. But uh, the Bible teaches in different, different references and different passages of Scripture some characteristics that will be found in him. One, he will be very, very intelligent, very smart, uh, almost to the level of genius. Uh, he's, not going to be, uh, he's going to be certainly uh, a very um, wise man. He understands, according to the book of Daniel, dark sayings. He will be a, uh, a citizen of one of the countries of the old Roman Empire. And uh, so very important to understand that from Daniel chapter number 9. He's going to have great ability to speak, uh, very, very talented in speaking, uh, Daniel chapter 11. He's going to be a Jew, according to Daniel chapter 11, verse number 37. Uh, And uh, he's going to have great influence politically. Uh, We see that because he ascends so rapidly to a level of governing of the world um, and so he has some power of influence, and we don't have a specific reference from that as much as we see the overall um, speed and effectiveness with which he comes to power uh, governmentally. Uh, he is an economic um, brain. He has a, a, a tremendous mind for finances, according to uh, Revelation chapter 13. He is uh, strong militarily. He conquers, and he comes, according to Revelation 6, he comes to conquer, uh, conquering and to conquer. And then he is a religious scholar. This, he will become, he's going to be very well known for his understanding of religious matters, Second Thessalonians chapter number 2. There are four things that we need to remember uh, about the Antichrist. Uh, number one, he cannot appear until after the rapture, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. So if anybody ever says that um, uh, the Antichrist comes prior to that time and goes into power, while he may be in existence, he will not be in power and able to do the things that Revelation speaks of him doing until after the rapture has taken place. Uh, and ver- uh, the second thing we need to know about him is uh, he will uh, come to power initially uh, in one of the old Roman Empire, con- one of the countries that was part of the old Roman Empire, according to Revelation 13.1. Uh, again, we see something uh, along that line that is referred to here. Uh, in verse, uh, or the, the third thing we need to remember in Daniel chapter number 9, it says that he does not begin his reign of persecution, even though he's already in power. He does not begin to persecute uh, the Christians, and Israel specifically, uh, until the middle of the tribulation period, known as the Great Tribulation. And then the next thing to remember is his power will only last for a short while. Uh, he is limited. Uh, He's not like uh, the evil opposite of God with infinite power. Uh, He only has limited power. And 
he will only have the power for a short while during the tribulation period uh, over the saints to be able to uh, persecute them and cause them to be martyred. Uh, but there's coming a reckoning. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight as we read down through the rest of chapter 13. Let's look in verse number 6, and that's kind of where we ended up last week. Uh, there is a, uh, the third, chapter 13 talks about the great beast rising up out of the sea in verse number 1. We got down about verse number 4 or 5 last week. But in verse number 6, the Bible says, um, And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell in heaven. Now, uh, this idea of blasphemous um, is, is speaking uh, and attributing acts of God to Satan. Uh, and so he gets out here and he claims to be God. And so this Antichrist is uh, speaking blasphemous things uh, about the name of God, uh, about the tabernacle of God and the... the uh, who they're to worship, how they're to worship, why they're to worship, and we're going to see that in the, the following verses. He's going to lead them to worship the beast and uh, the image of the beast. And then we find in uh, also that uh, he speaks blasphemous of them that dwell in heaven. And uh, there are different writers that uh, wonder who this is, they, them that dwell in heaven, uh, whether it's the angels or whether it's the saints that have uh, gone ahead and died and gone on to heaven. Uh, the truth of the matter is we don't really know exactly because God doesn't tell us specifically other than generally speaking. Uh, he is pretty much against anything that God stands for. And again, we're, we're in a time period in life where we are rapidly seeing people not just not caring about the things of God, but becoming defiant towards God. And we are quickly living in a generation, not just here in the United States either, by the way, but around the world of people that are not just denying God, but rejecting, strongly rejecting, and uh, even to the point of speaking blasphemous. Uh, I have heard things uh, on video clips or news clips of people being interviewed, and uh, I'll be real frank with you, it makes my skin crawl when I hear some of the things that people say and it's a wonder that God, and it's only by His mercy, I believe, that He doesn't immediately strike them dead for what they've said because it is so blasphemous towards Him and such a bitterness towards Him. And so there's going to be this, this idea from the beast uh, of blaspheming, and He's going to lead the world in this. Uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be something that uh, the, the folks that are that are worshiping Him, that are looking up to Him, are going to follow His example and cause them to, to become very bitter at God. Understand that Satan's end result is to get mankind to rise up with him against God. And that's going to be, it's going to come to fruition before we get to the end of this book. You'll see it. Uh, that's his goal. And so everything he can do to stir up man and cause them to be angry at God and defiant at God and to spurn the love that God has for them and to reject the love that God has for him. Satan wants nothing more than for man to reject that. And he's going to do everything that he possibly can to cause that to happen. And he's doing that in the world today, isn't he? He's trying to cause men to look at God as some, some evil thing or some bad thing, and uh, for them to hate him and to despise him. 
In verse 7 it says, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and uh, tongues and nations. And so uh, we find that he's going to uh, very much so persecute and martyr uh, Israel specifically, but everyone that names the name of Christ during this time. There are going to be multitudes. The Bible spoke of that earlier in Revelation. There are going to be multitudes of people from every tongue and every uh, tribe, every nation that's going to trust Him as their Savior during the tribulation period. And uh, they will be hunted down and they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be martyred for the cause of Christ, especially and intensely during this last seven, uh, last three and a half years. Um, this persecution, by the way, is not going to be uh, just a localized persecution around the... Um, the Middle East in that area, but is going to be worldwide. If you look at what verse number 7 says, it says, And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So this is a worldwide uh, persecution. And all that dwell upon the earth, and verse 8, the Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, uh, whose names are not written in the, Lamb's, uh, in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So everyone that is not saved during this tribulation period, is going to worship this beast. Now, so far, here's what we have. We have the dragon that was spoke of <coughs> in chapter 12. He appears in heaven, and, of course, shortly thereafter is kicked out of heaven. And the Bible says he is the devil. It is Satan himself. Then we have the beast out of the sea, and he gets his power from Satan. And he's the political leader that rises up. And um, we're going to look at another character here in just a moment. And that is going to be the beast from the earth. And the beast from the earth gets his power also from the dragon. But his sole purpose is to get the world religiously. And he's going to be the religious leader, if you will. Uh, his goal is to get the re people to religiously worship the beast that was out of the sea. Uh, there is a parallel that Satan is trying to draw through these three characters uh, to indicate to the world a trinity similar to what God is. The beast out of the sea, for instance, has a wound unto death, a mortal wound. Uh, a deadly wound is what the Bible refers to it as, and he's going to recover from that. He's going to be healed of it supernaturally. Then uh, the beast of the land, who I believe is the parallel to the Holy Spirit coming, when he comes on the scene, he's going to enable people, to, or especially the Antichrist, to do great works. Miracles. Uh, he's going to be able to bring life to an image and cause the image to speak. Um, he's going to be able to call down fire from heaven. And again, uh, to parallel the power that God gave uh, the early apostles when the Holy Spirit came to them on Pentecost. And so we find here in chapter 13, in chapter 12 and 13, Satan kind of building, if you will, uh, uh, an unholy trinity of characters that he's trying to counterfeit to the world and cause them to believe that this is uh, God Himself and, and they're going to worship Him. So as we look at these things, it helps us to understand a little bit. All those in verse number 8 that are not saved, they, their names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth, uh, are going to worship Him. Uh, that means then that those that are saved understand the true God. They will not worship Him. And verse number 9, the Bible says, if, a man, if any man have an ear, let him hear. And of course, any time that's said in the book of Revelation, it is an emphasis, it is a sentence of emphasizing, hey, 
really this is important. You need to sit up and take notice to this. Um, because in verse 10 it says this, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. Uh, he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, he just said in verse 8 that all those that are unsaved are going to be worshiping the beast. Those that are saved will not be worshiping the beast. But he tells them, and it seems, it seems to be the case in verse number 10, that John is instructing these folks, uh, and that this will be the case during this time period, that those that have named the name of Christ, those that have trusted Him as their Savior during the tribulation period, will not resist the persecution uh, but they will submit to the persecution. They will, not, they will not rise up violently and try to defend, but they will go through the martyrdom with grace and with peace. And notice what it says here, that while the beast overcomes the saints, look at verse number 10. The Bible says, here is the patience and the faith of the saints. They're patient in tribulation. And so we find here that, uh, again, when we read in, in chapter 12, if you remember, that they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by what? They loved not their life unto death. Patience and faith. The word of their testimony being their faith, their loving their life unto death, patience and persecution. Willing to be martyred rather than to deny Christ. We, the Bible, hold your place here for a minute. And I, I think, I, I don't know if I can find this passage or not. Let me see if I can real quick. Uh, hold your place there. Let's turn to uh, Revelation. Uh, oh my. Let's see. Verse number. Um, go to verse chapter number 12. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 12. Hold your place in Revelation. Hebrews chapter number 12. Paul, or the writer of, of Hebrews, is speaking here, and he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, speaking of those he mentioned in, in chapter 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. Do we see that? Run with patience. The race is set before us. Why do we have to run with patience? Are, are there persecutions that come? Are there trials that come? Does Satan try to put a target on us? Does he shoot his wiles at us trying to destroy us? Why would we require patience if we're to run the race? Obviously, there are some things that would hinder us from the race. And we are not to give up, even though those things sometimes come into our lives. We are to run it with patience. Notice what he says here, looking unto Jesus... The author and finisher, not only is he the one that started it in us and began the good work in us, but he will continue to perform it. Uh, and the Bible says he's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the what? This is the patience he's speaking of here. Physical suffering, persecution. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we can understand a little better the context of this, that it is dealing here with physical persecution. He goes on to say, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet 
resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In other words, he's saying, listen, you haven't had to do this yet, but there is going to come a time. And when it does, you need to be willing to be patient in tribulation, to be patient in the suffering, to love not your life, even unto death, for the cause of Christ. I'm thankful in our lifetime we have lived in the greatest time of religious liberty ever in the history of man. We've been very fortunate. We're seeing those liberties eroded almost hourly. And there is a good possibility, I'm not saying it will happen in our lifetime, but there is a good possibility that in our lifetime, if the rapture does not happen before this this time period comes, there may be a time where you and I may have to resist to the point of resisting unto blood. There may be a time of God putting us to the test and having to die a martyr's death. By the way, lest you say, well, that can't happen in the day we live, it is already happening. Not so much in the United States, but it is happening. Men and women around the world literally every day of their lives live in fear or live in, live with the knowledge of, they don't live no, so much in fear, but they live with the knowledge of that they could be killed for their faith. Men that willingly volunteer to pastor in areas that they know other pastors have been killed. They're willing to lay down their life, and they love not their life even unto death. I say all that to challenge us tonight to examine our hearts. Because it seems like during the easiest of times, the church becomes the weakest. And it's during the times of great persecution that the church begins to strengthen. And people that make up the church oftentimes grow apathetic. We, we get to the place where when religious liberty is, is, is rampant and, and is available to us and is plenteous, and when the ease of worship and standing for God is, is, is certainly abundant to us, we become uh, very uh, uh, lazy, apathetic, not a lot of strength. I... Uh, I was pressure spraying uh, uh, Miss Joanne's deck the other day. Went over there, yes, I think it was yesterday, and trimming some tree limbs and, and some things. And I, Jonathan usually is my helper. He's out of town, so I, I called up my daughter. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, and uh, to watch her try to carry a little tree limb out to the truck. Uh, she was a trooper. She hung in there with me. But I looked at her and I thought, that's not, that's not the, the way that we used to work when I was a kid. She's had a life of ease. And she hasn't had the, to endure the hardships. And as a result, when the hardships come, she's not as well prepared for it. And I use that as an illustration to encourage us as Christians to take inventory of our character now, the purpose in our hearts now. I've heard people say, well, I'd be willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am of the opinion, and I believe, I believe even scripturally speaking, there's some evidence for this, that if we're not willing to live for Him, we will never be willing to die for Him. If we're not willing to say, I will obey this book without excuses, 
I, I will go to its pages, and if it says to do it, I will do it, regardless of the cost. And if it says don't do it, I won't do it, regardless of the cost. But because we have religious liberty, we've not had to resist unto blood. We've not had to be persecuted to the level of these people. We tend to say, I know the Bible says this, however, or but. I, you know, God knows my heart. I, you know, I, I, I struggle in that area. I know I do. It's just a weakness of mine. Well, let's purpose in our hearts now. Because if we're not willing to be obedient now, in the time of persecution, it will become very evident the flaws of our character. The flaws of our dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the flaws in our purposing in our hearts to be true and steadfast to the Lord Jesus Christ. These, these folks are certainly, uh, in, in Revelation chapter 13, are certainly uh, men and women that are patient in their, in their persecutions. And notice what he says here in verse 10. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. They are willing to die rather than give up their faith. By the way, didn't we hear about another group of folks earlier in Revelation that were willing to die? In fact, they would rather die than give up their sin. Do you remember that? And here we have a group of people that said, I would rather die than to deny my Savior. My faith is strong. I will hold to the end. And the Bible speaks very clearly of this. In verse number 11, the Bible says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. This is a different one. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. He's going to appear to be uh, kind, generous, gentle, but he's going to be as harmful and as, and as violent as the beast that is the political leader. And this beast is going to rise up, and he's going to unite the world religiously and be the religious leader, as he says in verse 12, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So his purpose is to bring men and women to worship the beast out of the sea. The same thing that the Holy Spirit does today to cause people to come to Christ is the role that this beast is going to play towards the beast that's out of the sea. He's going to draw men to them and cause them to worship him. And he doeth great wonders, look in verse 13, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he's going to work some miracles. And he's going to try to use these miracles to convince men and fool men and dupe men into thinking that this is God's working. And it says in verse 14, and he does this, and the Bible says, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, and they that, should, that, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So they make some kind of an, an, an image. Uh, we don't know the extent of what it's going to be, but notice in verse 15, that he had the power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. I was uh, reading an article the other day of 
uh, a place down in South America in one of the uh, the Catholic churches. There was an image of one of the Catholics, what they call what they call saints. Uh, there was a, a stone image of him, and uh, the article said that uh, this this image moved, and that they believed there was miraculous power because this image had moved. And you say, well, there, that's stone. That's no way it could happen. Uh, I believe Satan is a great deceiver. And whether he manipulated the stone or he caused the minds to uh, see it by, uh, by derision and, and just having their mind's eye see it move, I believe these people actually did see something. I believe it's the things that Satan is going to use in the world. He's already using it in some cases to cause people to flock there by the droves and to worship this image, to think it has some miraculous power to it. And it was talking about how there were so many people that were going to see it now from all around the world because this image, quote-unquote, had moved. And this is this it's straight out of the book of Revelation. It's going to happen. I don't doubt it in the slightest that they didn't see something very real. But I don't think it was of God. It looks like it's something that really is something Satan does, doesn't it? So they build this image, and he causes this image to have life so that it's able to speak. And notice what the image says in verse 15. It says that they should both speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And so the image is able to speak. I believe he's going to give the command. You need to worship me, and if you don't worship me, uh, those of those people that deny me and won't worship me, y'all need to go kill them. And he gives a command for them to be slain. And again, those that are lost are deceived by this. We saw that very uh, clearly in verse number 14, that they are deceived by this. And so in order to differentiate, when he gives this command that they that don't worship the beast should be killed, he makes people make a choice. You're either going to worship me or you're not going to worship me. Look what it says in verse number 16. Uh, verse number 17. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sorry, 16. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. So that's pretty much everybody. To receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. There's been a lot of discussion over what's the mark. Um, I've studied the Greek. I, I think I have found the, the answer to this definitively. I think I can say this on the authority of Scripture. That... Uh, the mark that is spoken of here in verse number 17 is a mark. That, that took a lot of studying. But I got there. It's a mark. Uh, well, is it, is it a chip? Is it an implant? It may be caused by something like that, but the truth is it's a mark. It's what the Bible says. I just, I'm just going to take it for what it says. It's a mark. All right? Uh, is it the result of putting something in the hand and it scars over, scabs over? I don't know, but it's a mark. And it is something that I do know this. It's very visible. Because the purpose of the mark is twofold. Number one, it is to identify those that worship the beast and those that do not. And secondly, the receiving of the mark itself is an act of worshiping the beast. It's an act of commitment saying, we are worshiping Him, I am with Him, and the beast is with me. 
This is the mark that is being put in there. Notice what the Bible says here. It's going to be put in their right hand or on their foreheads. Either one of them, very, very visible. Most people are right-handed. They use it a lot or in their foreheads. And so it's going to be pretty easy to determine who are the ones that are worshiping the beast and who are the ones that are not. And the Bible says this, that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So, we're not sure exactly what the mark is, uh, but we do know it's a mark. It says, or the name of the beast. So maybe it's a mark that is the name of the guy who's the beast. Or, it says, the number of his name. Uh, so, it, maybe, it's, maybe he has a symbol, maybe he has a name, maybe he has a number, and maybe any of those three will work. It talks about there being some options there, possibly. They could all be the same thing. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us definitively. There could be a lot of discussion spent on that, and what you would get to at the end of it is, this is still what the Bible says, and we still don't know for sure if it's the same thing or if these are three different options that these people can take. The important thing is to know that those that take the mark are doing it for the purpose of saying, we, we trust in the beast and we worship the beast. And those that don't take it are saying, we do not trust in the beast. We trust in God. We put our faith in him. Here is the uh, uh, wisdom, verse number 18. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So 666 is the number uh, of the beast. So they can have his mark. The Bible says in verse 18, uh, verse 17, or... They can have the name of the beast, or they can have the number of his name. Now, if they're all three the same, that's fine, but the Bible uses or. I think that those are three different things, and that they could have any of the three, and they would be able to buy and sell and trade. Verse 14, And I looked, and lo, or chapter 14, I'm sorry. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion with him, 144,000, <coughs> having his father's name written in their foreheads. Chapter 14 begins another pause, if you will, in the narrative of this great tribulation period. So chapters 12 and 13 are dealing with the seven characters that are found. Chapter 14 is a pause before we begin what are known as the seven vile judgments. Some people call them the seven bold judgments, our King James Version Bible uses the word vile. I, I'm not opposed if somebody associates the word bowl with vile so that we can differentiate what word that is. If you're reading, it's not a problem because you see the spelling. But um, this is one of those words that has another word that sounds just like it, spelled V-I-L-E. And so when you're speaking it, it helps sometimes to express that these vials are not speaking of wickedness or darkness. It's speaking of a, a, a vessel, a, a, a container of some sort. Um, and so there's getting ready to be the seven vile judgments that we're going to speak about here in the book of Revelation. And before we do, chapter 14 takes a pause. And it's going to deal with some things here. And we're going to look at this a little bit more next week, uh, the little pause between it. But it's interesting because we had a pause between the sixth and the seventh seal, before the seventh seal was broken, which contained the seven trumpet judgments. We had a pause between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, 
And now we have a pause before we get into the vile judgments. And so we're going to take some time to look at Revelation chapter 14 next week. Um, Let me encourage you, as we study the book of Revelation, to look for the things that are applicable now, lessons to be learned now out of this book, things we're to be watchful for, things we're to be praying for. Uh, How does it affect my life today? Does it cause me to live uh, more of a testimony for Christ? Does it cause me to forsake sin more? Does it cause me to be uh, more of a witness to my neighbors, understanding what they're going to go through if they're not saved and this time period comes? There are many, many applications that can be found in the Bible when it comes to prophecy to our lives. And I want to encourage us in this. Uh, Tonight we spent a little bit of time dealing with the patience and the faith of the saints that are going to be persecuted and martyred for the cause of Christ. I would challenge us to think on this this week. What if we were put in a situation like that? I'm not saying we'll be here at that point in time in the tribulation period. But there could come persecution before that time. There could come a time where we have to stand and boldly proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be steadfast in our faith. We're really kind of getting to that point now anyway in the world. There's so much ridicule of the things of God and Christians. And Christians are being timid. And we're we're deciding that uh, we just really don't want to have a whole lot to do uh, to stand for the Lord because we don't want to make waves. Uh, we don't want to offend. Can I tell you this? We need to be steadfast. And we need to stand boldly for what the Bible teaches. We're in the mess we're in today because now for several generations we have enjoyed the benefit of religious liberty. And we have not struggled or fought for it. And we've allowed a lot of it to erode. And I want to challenge us this week as we think of these, these folks that uh, there's a history of them behind us. There's a future of them before us. I'd like there to be a testimony of those that are here now to be steadfast in the Lord, to be patient in tribulation, steadfast in our faith. Let's stand together. Father, we're praying that you'll dismiss us now with your blessings and give us safety uh, on the way home. Lord, a number of our people not able to be here with us tonight. But, Father, I pray that you would help us as we study these pages, not to just learn uh, knowledge of what's to come. But, Father, may it stir our hearts, may it challenge us. May there be some things that we look at in the examples that are shown uh, 